Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Greer. Andrew Greer is with uh, Thomas Strafford Investments. Welcome to the show, Andrew. I appreciate your time today. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Awesome. So uh, Andrew has been doing, uh, you know, law, uh, for real estate developments and has done multifamily flips as well for many years. Uh, today we will, you know, dig into his story and understand the intricacies of real estate developments. Uh, his market is uh, California from LA through San Diego. Uh, so it is a pretty expensive market and uh, quite a lot of uh, details in general specific to their, uh, uh, you know, ten, their niche. Uh, so with that, Andrew, welcome to the show. Uh, give us some background as to, you know, how you got started and how you came about uh, into real estate development space. Yeah, yeah. So I, I started just about a decade ago. Um, and I really, I, I came from being a stockbroker and then wanted to get into investing with hard assets. Uh -huh. So I started out doing flips, um, buying flips, working with uh, investors on debt mm -hmm. and going that route. And then about six years ago, just over six years ago, I bought a flip that had the opportunity to build a home next door. Um, <laughs> and uh, when we went through the process, figuring out what we could build, it turned out that we didn't have enough space to build a home um, because the survey was done incorrectly previously. Mm -hmm. So we ended up reaching back out to the seller. They own the lot behind it, which was much larger. Mm -hmm. And we negotiated a deal to buy all of the land. And uh, from there, did our first uh, real like major joint venture and did a, a subdivision. Um, I see. Mm -hmm. So we built multiple houses. Uh, in the end on that one, I ended up building out the map, getting it entitled and selling it. Mm -hmm. um, and then we went in and started doing more subdivisions, more single family homes at once. And then about three years ago, we really pivoted more towards multifamily. So, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Lot to lot to unpack into that story, uh, Andrew. So thank you for sharing the detailed background there. Um, you you said Andrew that you started with a lot of uh, like multifamily and single family flips and things like that. Give us a sense of like um, you know what price points we are talking about and those flips took how many uh, sort of months to uh, you know finish up and then kind of how you transitioned. Uh, into the sort of the real estate development or, you know, sort of the rezoning and best, uh, best use of land and things like that? Yeah. So our flips, we really had two types that we did. Mm -hmm. um, one not being truly a flip, it was called a custom remodel and I'll explain the difference, but mm -hmm. most of our flips range from about 300,000 to about 650,000 on a position. Mm -hmm. um, we'd go in, it would take us between 30 to 60 days to complete the flip. 
Mm -hmm. uh, ideally faster. I mean, we had one where we were in, out, and sold in less than 47 days. So for wow. time we purchased, mm -hmm. time we sold. So it was very fast. Sure. Um, but that was our, our main objective, was those quick ones. Mm -hmm. And then we started going after what we called the custom remodel. So we'd acquire a property. Uh, one example was we bought one in a very nice coastal community for $497,000. We went mm -hmm. through the process of adding 1,100 square feet to the home itself. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And then sold it a year and one day later <laughs> for uh, 1.45 million. Wow. So mm -hmm. it was a, you know, there's a very large spread in that one. We spent sure. about 375,000 on the actual project. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the end, it turned out to be a really good project. And we did, started doing more of those long-term hold projects and that really opened the door where we got a lot more comfortable with construction mm -hmm. and going after acquiring larger deals to build out multifamily. I see. And you said, Andrew, you added 1,100 square feet. Was that like maybe uh, adding, uh, I mean, you know, refinishing basement or adding a bump out? How did that come about? Yeah, so we added a second floor okay. um, mm -hmm. to the property and mm -hmm. we added a garage. Um, mm -hmm. And then we added a really cool feature. It was a staircase that was all glass around it. Sure. So when you pulled up to the house, there's this big glass staircase with lighting. So it just made it so it really tied nicely into the house as an sure. architectural effect. Awesome, yeah, awesome. That's, that's how we added it. I see. So like a spiral staircase with a uh, glass uh, perimeter all around. Yeah, yeah. It was really awesome. cool. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> good, good. So um, was that sort of the pivoting moment, Andrew, in your story where you said, hey, you know what, these, uh, you know, candidate projects that perhaps have a lot of upside, but perhaps come with a uh, decent construction element to them. Is that uh, was kind of the genesis where you said, hey, you know what, it this these type of deals make sense. And that's how you shifted towards real estate development of sorts. Yeah, yeah. So what happened is we realized there was only so much growth in flips. Um, there was also only so much we could do with in-house equity. But as we built out our processes and systems, we could plug in the appropriate contractors and vendors to do a majority of the day-to-day -day work. Mm -hmm. And we could start focusing on acquiring larger deals and then managing them, being the general partner of them. Mm -hmm. um, through the process. So re our real need at that point was additional capital sure. and creating mm -hmm. those opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. And we quickly learned that bigger deals really are, it's, it's more larger numbers than it is more work in many situations. Now that sure. Yeah, sure. it's not that you're to do a, you know, a quadplex or to do a 26 um, unit project ground up, mm -hmm. really on our end, it's, it's just a little bit more time and a lot more money, but right. it's not a whole lot more work. Um, right, right. No, and, and an interesting thing in this, Andrew, is also we are talking about San Diego and LA type of markets. So the real estate in general is so expensive and when you try to reposition or renovate these things, I mean, you know, considering the permits, the bureaucracy that comes along with it, I'm sure the pr ultimate project cost is a whole lot more than, you know, like some other sub markets, uh, which are, you know, a lot more inexpensive. 
uh, that you would kind of, uh, you know, compare to, right? Uh, g give us a sense, Andrew, as to, uh, you know, what sort of a, is a good candidate project for uh, perhaps doing a redevelopment? Like what sort of opportunities, for example, you, today you look for? Yeah, so we're heavily focused on rezoning. So mm -hmm. if they've come in and they've rezoned the property, the land, mm -hmm. um, we're looking to buy old single family homes or maybe a duplex Mm -hmm. that's in disrepair where we can go from one unit to let's say 10 units sure, so sure. so right now i have one that's in construction it was one 900 square foot single family home mm -hmm. um, we're currently on the second floor and it's 10 units with tuck under parking underneath it and it's it's just far more density but when we go in to buy it as a single family home in distress we can mm -hmm. be very competitive and actually purchase it at the right price um, I see. I see. Another yeah. one. Oh, go for it. Sorry. No, I was just going to ask you. I mean, I've I've been part of the uh, similar projects where, and I think you're tearing it down, having a sort of a covered parking on the ground floor, and all your residential uh, units are all uh, all above. Is that kind of the model you're describing, Andrew? For the most part, yes. We try and get two units on the ground floor so we mm -hmm. can meet our ADA um, sure. standards without mm -hmm. having to do an elevator. Right. So we try, we try and go as efficient as possible to reduce elevators, additional amenities, depending upon where the project are, is. Mm -hmm. we're, we're generally B minus C plus neighborhoods. So we're, we're not doing pools. We're not doing a lot of amenities, blue collar, um, sure. entry level rent. I see, I see. And um, when you're doing these, Andrew, are you maybe starting out focusing on Hey, uh, like some of the census tracts where perhaps uh, you know that uh, the zoning of the land itself uh, enables you to uh, perhaps do uh, these type of, uh, you know, high density type of projects. Is that kind of uh, what the game plan is uh, more or less? Yeah, we're very targeted in San Diego on mm -hmm. three main factors. We want our zoning to be uh, one dwelling unit per 1500 square feet. Mm -hmm. We want to have the transit priority bonus, which means that it goes to one unit per every 750 and mm -hmm. adjusts our parking standards. And then we also focus on qualified opportunity zone. Sure. So we have the tax benefit. It, it reaches our target investor much better. Um, mm -hmm. And it reaches a lot of our goals. In general, our emphasis is to keep as much property as possible. Sure. We're not trying to flip it from dirt and then sell. We do. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not our overall goal. Our overreaching goal is long-term hold. I see. I see. Thank you for that detail. And, and also, Andrew, we will definitely discuss more about uh, opportunity zones, the details and the different nuances within it. Uh, but I want to uh, kind of ask you by saying that these projects that you're doing, right, uh, like buying a single family home, right? Then let's say tearing it down, add a, you know, starting a complete new construction and adding, uh, you know, let's say additional units and things like that, right? Uh, give us a sense of what sort of uh, price points we are talking about. Like, let's say you buy it at X number, then you are raising it and then uh, pretty much re-permitting it for, for adding the additional units and things like that. Give us a sense of like, what sort of numbers are we talking about here? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So in a part of town, closer to downtown, up and coming neighborhood, 
we paid um, for a project $390,000, 7,000 square foot lot, a single family home. Mm -hmm. um, we put 125,000 into design permitting, um, the first level of plan check permitting, not all the permitting, mm -hmm. and then getting it to the next level. Uh, mm -hmm. After that, there's about another 275,000 on that project and mm -hmm. some miscellaneous holding cost, as well as our development impact fees. That's where we pay for police, fire, libraries, parks um, with sure. the city. Mm -hmm. and well, the permit, the construction on that building was about one million fifty thousand, one million seventy-five thousand, right in there. Mm -hmm. It's a building that we're doing multiple times, um, mm -hmm. so it fits on a set lot. So we've gotten, we're starting to really narrow down how to make it work, um, mm -hmm. so we can reduce those costs. Sure. So, so all in, that building will be in it for right around one nine five. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it'll be worth about two seven five when it's done at mm -hmm. a four seven five cap. I see. I see. And it's it's fair to say that based on uh, some of the numbers you stated that the uh, all the development impact fee or permitting and design fees and things like that are more or less thirty to thirty five percent of what your construction cost is. Is that does that sound about right? Yeah, it, it comes out there mm -hmm. uh, with some of our projects. It can get higher based on neighborhood. So sure. I have one just up the street. The development impact fee is 180% of this neighborhood because wow. of the uh, parks and services and amenities nearby. Mm -hmm. um, I will get dramatically higher rent too, just mm -hmm. because of the location. Um, but it goes, it's about 13,600 and the other one was 7,200, 7,300 per sure. unit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it varies, but yeah, it's safe to say right around 30 to 35%, maybe as high as 40 to 45. Sure. And, and in your example, Andrew, where you said about um, 7,000 or 7,300 square feet uh, lot that you had, um, how many units you added in, in uh, during the re redevelopment on that one? Uh, it became a, from one unit to 10. Oh, wow. Okay. And what's yeah. the average uh, sort of uh, square foot of one unit? These are micro units. So they come out at 525 square feet on average. I see. And um, is that mostly rental uh, grade uh, type? Uh, meaning yeah, like renters? All, all rental grade. All rental grade. Okay. And... Um, who's sort of the candidate renter there? Like, are these students or young professionals? Uh, what's what sort of tenant profile are we talking about? Our biggest tenant is going to be military. So, it's, oh, interesting. It's very close to the base. <laughs> um, so it's it's actually within a mile and a half of the base. I see. Um, so using their benefit for housing. Mm -hmm. They can rent this place and still have access. Like we're not we're not tapping out their full amount in the housing allowance basically yeah interesting very interesting and uh if you don't mind me asking the 500 square feet uh what sort of rent are you getting on this ones uh, about 1495 wow so let's say yeah. 1500 so <laughs> yeah. let's say 1500 san diego is a very different market sure 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 no absolutely and that that's that's why i, I highlighted earlier that the the markets we are talking about are 
totally different, but you still have to use sort of the numbers and the common sense as to why we are doing what we are doing. And it's incredible. So you go for, like, for lack of a better term, if we sort of understand the investment thesis here is that you are more or less investing uh, 2 million to get a brand new 10 unit uh, or 11 unit uh, and, and I guess if we were to see the cash flow as well, your gross rents are, I'm trying to think, 1,500 times 10. So, you, wow. So, 15 to 18,000, depending on, uh, you know, so that's like your monthly rent, rent gross rent. Yeah, right? we're, we're actually a little bit higher. So, a <laughs> couple of things. We have one two-bedroom that gets about um, 1750 Okay. And mm -hmm. then we actually charge for storage and for parking. <laughs> so we charge uh, $50 for storage and we charge $75 for parking. I uh, see. We also manage the internet in the building. Sure. Mm -hmm. So we offer it at a discount, but we make $25 a door off of that as well. Wow. So mm -hmm. we have these ancillary incomes that we make as well off of the property. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, with the transit priority, Mm -hmm. That is how we're able to actually do that. We're allowed to separate those out. So I could rent every parking spot in my building to one person if I really wanted to. Sure, or, sure. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it creates a different dynamic and uh, it's, it's very beneficial. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And what about the utilities, like the, the water, sewer, and all those charges? Do, do these get prorated and passed on to tenants as well? We, uh, we set them all up individually metered. So we sub-meter the water um, mm -hmm. on site, and then everybody has separate meters for electrical. Interesting, interesting. And then we don't run, we aren't running gas on any of these buildings. So these are all electric stoves yeah. and all that. I see, I see, wow, awesome. And now let's talk about, Andrew, the sort of the time component in this, that you know, you're purchasing it, you're, uh, I mean, every step of the way you have permits and all the bureaucracy, the inspections and all that. So basically, you're dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, sort of the holding cost as well. Uh, give us a sense of like how you are sort of managing all those details. Yeah, so uh, one of our biggest strategies on holding cost um, is we have a model called cash flow entitlement. Um, mm -hmm. We usually buy something that has rentable units on it or is very close to rentable. Mm -hmm. We'll actually go in, flip rehab it because our, our permitting process can take 18 months to 24 months. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times we Airbnb them. Um, okay. So we turn them into Airbnbs and we generate income off of them. Uh, prior to COVID, um, in the month of July, I had three units going on a I, three duplexes next to each other. Three of them are long-term, three of them are short-term. And uh, the three short-terms could generate $24,000 in just one month because wow. of Comic-Con, 4th of July, and then Pride, which just drives a ton of traffic to San Diego. Sure. The rest of the summer, we would generate between seventeen to 20000 And then in off-season, we could get twelve. Twelve thousand to thirteen thousand, so mm -hmm. turns into a, a a considerable amount of uh, income, and we really focus on buying that way. Um, and there's mm -hmm. really two components in it: one, the rents, and then two, uh, for the bureaucracy and permitting and getting through the process. 
buying property with an existing building on it and tearing it down actually has less pitfalls than buying raw land because of a lot of the environmental consequences and different stormwater consequences here in uh, San Diego. Sure, sure. And, and, I, and I imagine that the, you probably don't have that much vacant land or lots available uh, as such, right? We don't. Uh, there's, there's not a ton available. Sometimes it's, we've acquired stuff where uh, somebody had bought double lots in the past and sure. maybe had one as a large garden or a large backyard. We've bought those in the past. Um, <laughs> but we actually avoid it quite a bit because it, I, I bought one for myself personally mm -hmm. and it's taken me four years to get my permit. So I see, I see. Yeah, so we try to avoid it. <laughs> I see. Now, Andrew, in your model, it seems that you buy it outright. Um, you are basically uh, while you are renting out and you're during uh, during your permit phase and things like that, uh, you are definitely getting some cash flow, right? And mm -hmm. then uh, pretty much as you start to demolish the building and start your construction, that's when everything goes poof. And that's when you're pretty much holding costs and things like that uh, kind of kick in. So are you doing like a bank financing, like a construction loan on these, Andrew? Or give us a sense of some financing side of these projects. Yeah, we work with uh, some banks, small regional banks. Mm -hmm. um, and then we work with some non-QM lenders as well that get us very competitive rates. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the majority of it, to explain kind of the um, genesis of a deal, mm -hmm. um, this will make a little bit more sense. Me and my partner and maybe a sponsor or one other person will go in and actually buy the property prior to even raising the money. Sure. So we'll go out, we might buy three or four properties next to each other to assemble. Mm -hmm. We'll go through a process where we invest in a considerable amount of our money, sometimes a hundred to $300,000 in permitting, design, consulting, get the property to a certain point of approval, mm -hmm. then we'll raise for the syndication. Mm -hmm. So we come through with a certain level of clearance, like this is what we're doing. This is what we have approved. Mm -hmm. um, one, it gives us upside and the value going into the syndication, what we get. Sure. And then two, it allows us a certain level of um, security for the investors to pay mm -hmm. upon what they want, knowing that this is approved, that's approved, or we have this hurdle to jump. Sure. So we'll raise at that point, generally within six months, maybe a year of when construction is going to start. Mm -hmm. So that money we're raising in the syndication is oftentimes going towards that holding cost. Um, sure. So that way we can prep for that and be ready. Um, but that's, that's really the majority of it. Yeah. As soon as we start construction and some of these projects can take up to 18 to 24 months to build, depending upon the size, sure. we have to be ready with the cash in the bank to make sure we can get to the finish line. I see. I see. Now, uh, Andrew, one of the uh, sort of the problems or the one of the most contentious elements in all of the development process, as we know, is a couple of things. Basically, uh, every time I hear the word, it's the community hearing meetings, you know, like the community hearings can be extremely challenging. The feedback process, the input from the area residents is always, always negative. They are complaining about either the the traffic or the parking issues and things like that, right? Uh, and then I guess, of course, is sort of the um, 
endless loop of permits and you know sort of the design refinements uh, refinements that we have to do and things like that give us a sense of uh, some of your experiences that you know what sort of uh, you know problems you had how you kind of overcame then within uh, some of these things yeah so we've had our we've had our battles um <laughs> so uh we had a 40 unit complex that we were trying to design and uh we had 165 or 167 people come and speak out against it wow um mm -hmm. And uh, we had that one not approved. Mm -hmm. um, I had a coastal development that I was doing where a gentleman threatened to beat me up in the parking lot for not providing three parking spaces per unit, only providing two. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I've been through a lot of those communities sure. where really what it is, is we try and follow what's allowed to the sure. seat. Mm -hmm. So we just go take the abuse and then it, it gets approved. So we try and do what the city council wants us to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then additionally, now our primary and main focus is only doing what's called buy right development. So it's, we develop, we design exactly within what's required for that neighborhood mm -hmm. and there's no community hearing. So I see. It, it supersedes that we're not asking for anything unusual. Mm -hmm. We're not doing a development of a size that can cause any contention. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to build them by right. So I just go straight to construction docs and I don't actually deal with any of that process. I see. So it so. sounds like this is a local uh, sort of a community, uh, not community, I should say the local municipality thing that uh, that you have to be extremely uh, sort of knowledgeable about and carefully study what's allowed, what's not allowed before you can purchase the deal. Is that Does that sound about right? A hundred percent. That's And that's really one of our specialties in mm -hmm. San Diego is that's, we know two cities very well, city mm -hmm. of San Diego and the city of national city. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my favorite thing is when people present me a deal and they're like, Hey, I got this deal. You can do this, this, and this here. I'm like, no, <laughs> I know can. better than you. <laughs> like, you might think you can, but it's not going to get through. Like if sure. we want to buy it, it's going to be an eight plex, not a 12 plex. So that's how we have to buy. And, you know, I, I don't go down the path of the community fights anymore just because it's, it's far too time consuming. Sure. And uh, it's, it just isn't, it's just not the smartest way to go. Sure, sure, sure. I can totally relate. I mean, I have, I've been through a bunch of those uh, myself on different projects and uh, the amount of time, energy uh, that it saps, it's, it's quite incredible, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Now, Andrew, give us a sense of, you know, you buy these buildings, right? And you are uh, having all these things, right? Uh, like different tenants and all that, right? Is your strategy more into buy and hold or are you more about uh, let's buy them, let's syndicate them, and at some uh, future point, like three to five years, sell them. G give us a sense of how's your exit strategy around this. Our, our main strategy is 10-year holds, minimum, mm -hmm. because of the qualified opportunity zone element. Sure, so, sure. So that, that, that ties us in where we're looking at it from the point of view of we want to get the full tax benefit, have no federal taxes on our gain after 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that's our main goal. Um, do we build to sell? Yes. Yes, we do. Um, mm -hmm. and, we, and we will. Um, 
primarily right now we build to sell to get capital gains to put into qualified opportunity zone. I so it's, it, it's, it, we do it, but it kind of ties into the other strategy. Sure, sure, sure. For, for, viewers who, uh, for viewers of ours who, have, who may not have heard of all the different benefits that come with the qualified opportunity zones, uh, give us uh, some tidbits about, you know, what they are, how they came about, and what are some of like sort of the top five, seven things, that, the benefits of them, please. Yeah, so I uh, came through in the Jobs and Jobs and Tax Act of 2017, mm -hmm. uh, designated just over 8,700 census districts as qualified opportunity zones, meaning that if you invest and, and, and double the actual um, building assessment on the property by 100%, Mm -hmm. um, you can maintain tax deferral until you turn in your 2016, 2026 tax returns. Mm -hmm. um, you also get a 10% jump in basis, which means that you had $100,000 in capital gains. You're not paying taxes on $90,000 instead. Mm -hmm. And then after 10 years of holding that property, you are federal tax-free. So all profits, all gain is tax-free. So it becomes really great for individuals looking to shelter their income. Um, the next thing, and this is one that we've seen a lot of success with, is if you have a 1031 and you wanna just sell and take the gain out, not move over all your equity at the same time, mm -hmm. and you can find a qualified opportunity zone investment, you can actually just take that gain out and mm -hmm. not move all that money at once, and then go through this process, defer 10%, and then pay no taxes on the gain after 10 years, where 1031, you're just, you're just kicking the can down the road until you get to the sure. point that you actually pay it. So sure. mm -hmm. it, it, it could be very valuable in that way. Um, mm -hmm. They're generally in areas that are uh, suffering economically in, 2020, in 2010. That was mm -hmm. when they did the census that set the districts. Sure. Um, in San Diego, there's neighborhoods where they are definitely not an economic pain, um, just like Los Angeles and Arizona. Some of the markets I've looked at where you can get some great stuff and do these deals and help uh, influence. Um, we also, we like doing, you know, C plus B minus neighborhoods a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's huge areas that are like that, that you can do the development on, but it's, it's really development heavy, you mm -hmm. know, buying a building that's existing. If you buy a large building, if you have to invest a hundred percent of that improvement value sure, into that sure. building, it's going to be difficult. So it's really designed to be ground up new construction projects. Sure. And you also said, uh, Andrew, there that you are also syndicating some of these projects, right? So give us a sense of, uh, you know, just the details of the numbers or perhaps uh, what is the investor appetite uh, for these uh, projects, like for investors to come on board and invest uh, with you, within your projects? Yeah, so we, we've done a few of them right now. So we have three. Um, the investment range has ranged from 2.2 million for one to a million for the others. Mm -hmm. Um, and really our main investor probably is coming in. If, if you averaged it out, it's probably about 125,000, mm -hmm. um, is the average investment. Some people going much higher, um, and others coming in at the $50,000 sure. range. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but our, our focus really is like 
250,000 is our, our goal. Um, that's sure. where we mm -hmm. like to mm -hmm. play. It makes less, less investors, less LPs easier to manage. Obviously we would all like to have one LP and <laughs> just get it done. <laughs> but uh, that's really where it is. And you have to diagnose with the investors prior to even sitting down that they're interested in long-term growth. They have to be interested in long-term because we're taking it and we're saying, hey, this, this money's not coming back for at least 10 years. Sure. Not that it's coming back in 10 years, it's at least 10 years. Because we don't want to just sell in 10 years. We want to you know, plan around where the market is, where we are in a cycle to actually disposition. Sure, sure. And uh, of course, you are tying in with, uh, with, you know, sort of the guidelines within the Opportunity Zones uh, Act there. And that's the base business plan. And they say around 2026, as you said, if the time is not right, perhaps the whole uh, period can get extended, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you, you have to sell by 2046. So oh, that's a you, long time. Paul. You, yeah, you just have to get past... 10 years sure. and then not go past 2046. I see. Now, yeah. uh, Andrew, some sort of a central question, right? Like the model where you buy, you know, you tear it down, renovate and, you know, go through a heavy uh, construction period and things like that, right? Uh, what are your thoughts on this model versus, you know, like a typical multifamily value add buildings that you can buy uh, perhaps even in opportunity zones for that matter and do value add and do the traditional, uh, you know, sort of the syndication that we see, you know, give us a sense of, you know, what, what sort of what is your philosophy about pros and cons and why you like the development game versus, you know, some other uh, plain and vanilla multifamily syndications uh, that we uh, typically see? Yeah, it, it, for us, it really comes down to what we're good at um, mm -hmm. and what we can get paid for as general partners and sure. create good returns. Sure. Um, sure. In San Diego, finding a building, and I, so I like to shop locally. That's just kind sure, of, sure. Kind mm -hmm. of how I am. Um, so I could go to other states and start looking at other projects, mm -hmm. but really to shop locally, there's no value out apartments that make any sense in San Diego. Sure, <laughs> so sure. Right, you're, right. You're not going to finish your construction and have the, you know, let's say 25% equity at that point. Um, and that's, that's what we really want. We want to be able to, we want to be able to get money back out. We want to mm -hmm. be sitting there with little to no cash in and have the equity in there to keep it running and then just sit on it and let it cash flow for us. Sure. So, sure. And that's just harder to do on the value add side. Now, if things change, would we go out and start doing that? A hundred percent. We're not going to say no to a deal like sure. that. Mm -hmm. We just aren't seeing them. Right, right. I mean, it's a, it's an expensive market. Uh, I mean, just like, let's say, New York City or like, you know, closer to New Jersey, New York border, those areas. Uh, require, you know, sort of different strategies and definitely, as you point out, uh, redevelopment and rezoning the houses and reconstructing them and adding more units. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's a definitely a viable strategy and it's a perfect instrument for doing syndications in my opinion. And as I shared with you before we got started is I have, you know, come across a lot more investors in your market as well, doing something similar, uh, you know, projects or doing the retail flips. So there's, there's definitely 
uh, sort of, you know, methods to doing different real estate strategies based on, you know, what the geographic area or the submarket is, right? So yeah. good. Thank you, uh, Andrew. So g give us uh, some sense, uh, Andrew, as to, you know, what sort of uh, different, uh, you know, uh, projects uh, that you are looking at right now? How do you see the market reacting to COVID and things like that right now? Yeah, I mean, we really like, we like one of our buildings that we're building and we want to do it over again. It's a 10 plaques and it just, it works really well. It fits into our standardized lot. So we, we want to keep looking for those. <laughs> I do think that, uh, COVID has actually heated up the market in San Diego. It's been unusual. Um, mm -hmm. I think it'll slow down, but my focus is multifamily. And right now, uh, according to uh, the data from the census and then from the city of San Diego against permits and how we do our, our regional analysis, we're 57,000 units undersupplied. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. So the ability to build and add more units and get them rented up isn't going away. We have a major supply problem, which mm -hmm. is a great equation to be on the demand side with. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I don't see that affecting us um, mm -hmm. right away. Uh, maybe we get some issues where people are moving in and, you know, one thing, one reason why we sub meter all our buildings and, have everyone pay all their utilities is a lot of times in recessions, people move in, you get a higher um, tenant count per room. Sure. Now, if you're paying utilities, you're going to see that number go up, but your rents not go up. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. So this is something that we like and why we focus. It costs a lot of money to actually submeter everything, but that's just the way we do it. Like there's, right. there's sure, no sure. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. <laughs> That's a, for us, uh, we're going to keep going for these high density developments mm -hmm. um, in the urban areas that are having the infill right now and just really focus on that. And I mean, we got word that we have 6,000 more sailors coming to San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, so we need even more units and we're just sure. keep out. <laughs> Good, good. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all the details, uh, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Uh, please share with your listeners, you know, how they can find you and learn more about your company and different projects you're doing. Yeah, the easiest way uh, is you can go to thomas-strafford.com and check us out uh, there. And if you want to reach out to me direct, you can give me at andrew at thomas-strafford.com dot com or facebook instagram all those places i'm andrew greer it's easy to find me i chat on all of them so i i've actually raised capital via instagram i said i had somebody set an appointment with me to learn about a development because i had posted a photo so awesome. mm -hmm. yeah Great, great. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Uh, viewers and listeners of our podcast can also, uh, you know, learn more about guests and different projects uh, that they're doing by logging on to premiumcashflow.com. Uh, we have the podcast link. And if you are interested in any of our projects uh, or any of our investment opportunities that uh, may be coming on, uh, kindly register with us using invest with us link. Uh, we will get on to a short phone conversation, understand what your goals uh, and what you're looking to do. Uh, but, uh, many a times we are taking only accredited investors after signing all the uh, proper uh, private placement uh, 
uh, memorandum, PPM documents and things like that. So uh, there are definitely a lot more opportunities available as well. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to, you know, chatting with you on some uh, more of your projects in coming future. Sounds good. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.